Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph. My name is David Law. I'm joined by Catherine Whittaker of Eurosport. And at the moment, on middle Sunday of the US Open, Kyle Edmund is having a bit of a difficult experience because he is two sets to love down and two love with a breakdown against a world number one in Novak Djokovic, who looks like the world number one Novak Djokovic tonight, Catherine Whittaker. He looks like a world number one, yeah, that's certainly... uh benefiting from uh, the rest he's had yeah we've been speculating for the last few days about what effect those two well the one withdrawal and the one retirement would have on him and I think all that speculation has pretty much ended because yeah he's back to back to being the world number one I think it's fair to say that he's not being massively tested not to say that there hasn't been the odd point where Kyle Edmund hasn't shown what he can do but uh, I think it's fair to say he's he's not (laughs) with the greatest of respect risen to the occasion I think he looks a bit overawed you know he's not able to do it on any kind of consistent basis clearly and uh, I don't know he just I actually thought and watched him during the the, the warm up the knock up on, on the, and I thought wow he looks really pumped and looks like he believes but then suddenly as soon as the match actually started that seemed to to ebb away very very quickly I'm not sure there's a difference I actually asked him this uh, after his last win uh, and said, you know, loads of players in your position say, yeah, yeah, I believe. Or, you know, they usually say it in the third person, don't they? You've got to believe. You know, there's no point going on the court if, if you don't believe in all of that. But there's a difference between saying that and telling yourself that and really deep down believing it. And for me, that's that's it. You know, he's gone onto the court thinking, yeah, I've got to believe I can win this. But, it, but, but that, really, to, to, yeah. me, to me, that's not the reason that this is happening to me uh, the reason this is happening is because Djokovic is one of the greatest players of all time and he's showing that right now he is carving Edmund up there is nothing Edmund can do right now he's had a couple of points where he's absolutely hammered that forehand and it wouldn't have been retrieved by a Concord going after it but the vast majority of them he's just been carved apart because the guy knows how to play tennis he knows how to construct points and put the ball in areas of the court that players like Kyle Edmonds who have a couple of major weapons he can't use them he's blunting his weapons he's 
He's constructing rallies in a way... I mean, Federer used to do it. Federer would put the ball in horrible places of the court with all sorts of spins and manipulations. I, I think it sometimes gets overlooked how good the guy is at actually doing that because it's not necessarily as flamboyant as, as the way Federer would do it. He's, he's really, really difficult to play as a match player. There's no weakness, but, it's, but it's, there's also a great awareness of where to stick the ball, and I think I think it's 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 too much for for Kyle at the moment, uh, and I think it'd be too much for just about anybody. Maybe one or two other players in the world could could compete with this. Yes, yeah, it's, it's decision making, isn't it? Tennis IQ, it's it's making the right right decisions. It, it's, like I'm just rephrasing exactly what you've just said. I'm agreeing with it. Um, it's funny he doesn't. I just sat for a few games courtside, uh, right next to his box, in fact, and sort of the, the considering how brilliantly he's playing and how the position he's in in the match, which is a completely dominant one, he doesn't look that happy, actually. His body language, there's some very poignant looks up to the box, you know. <laughs> if, if, if this is his idea of perhaps not quite playing up to uh, what he thinks he has in him, then that's <laughs> worrying signs for everyone else. Yeah, well, I, I'd say uh, I'd say Djokovic has sent out a statement to everybody in the draw who's left and everybody in the world tonight uh, that it's time to stop worrying about his wrist, it's time to stop worrying about his mind and worrying where his focus might be and remembering that he won this title last year and he won four Grand Slam titles in a row. I even think there's a little statement going on to, uh, to Andy Murray at the moment because he knows Murray will be watching this because it's his mate and it's his teammate who's playing and it's the guy who beat Serbia more or less single-handedly in the Davis Cup and Djokovic is just, just reminding everybody. Just reminding everybody. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. <laughs> Andy will, without question, be watching this. He was definitely late for press yesterday because he was watching Dan Evans. So definitely he'll be somewhere, probably in his hotel room in New York, watching this. And, of, of course, Djokovic will know that. Just think, we might have to re-record this whole thing if, if, Edmund, <laughs> yeah. if Edmund mounts the most miraculous of comebacks and, uh, and somehow gets, uh, gets the win. But anyway, uh, that, that sounds unlikely, certainly, at this point. What else has happened today? Let's go in back match by match. And the one we've just had in the evening session between Angelique Kerber and Petra Kvitova was, was pretty spectacular, wasn't it? But Kerber winning through, taking some of the best of what Kerber had to offer after a, a pretty erratic start to the match. And uh, Kerber just carries on building her reputation. She looks so strong, doesn't she? I mean, I know she's always looked strong and fit and... and and capable and all the rest of it but she looks even more so with every match I'm struck by it more and more just by the by I'm seeing on the monitor up here Djokovic receiving some treatment on the court by the looks of things to that to the right is it the tricep again anyway uh, Edmund has just broken back for 2-1 The comeback is on. We will be re-recording, or at least recording a supplement, if the the uh, wholly unlikely happens. It looks to be the forearm. We're just getting a close-up. It's, it's either the elbow... It's the same sort of thing that he was having yeah. done the other night, isn't it, when uh, when he played Jerzy Janovic. And uh, he, he's having, his, I guess, his his whole shoulder and elbow, and, and it's it's being turned in, around in circles, it seems to me, and that doesn't make much sense. But anyway, he's having his right arm treated. That's all we do now. Yeah, it doesn't look like a lovely, relaxing massage, let's put it that way. Um, what were we talking about, Kerber? Yeah, I mean, she just looks so strong and just... God, I wouldn't want to mess with her. She just looks 
really, really good. I know, I know Kvitova is hit and miss and hasn't had the best year, but she's dangerous and she showed flashes of being dangerous tonight and uh, Kerber just snuffed it out at every, every turn. I, I really think we're on for the Serena Kerber final. Yeah, we could well be. I've not had the greatest uh, day of old predictions last night. I think I said Kvitova to win that one. I think I said Jack Sock to beat Joe Wilfred Songer. What on earth was I thinking? That'll teach me to do off-the-cuff predictions. Uh, but anyway, we won't be doing that tonight. Uh, but anyway, before that, we had the story of the day, arguably the story of the week. Rafael Nadal losing in a final set tiebreak to Luca Puy. Henri Leconte marked my car, didn't he? And... My goodness, that guy was good. What a talent he is. Yeah, I mean, first of all, could I just say final set tiebreak, brilliant. <laughs> An advert for one today. I mean, I-, I was so delighted that that match got to reach that climax. It just felt so fitting and I just thought, wow, yes, for, f- for fifth set tiebreaks at that moment. Uh, but we've had that debate before, so we won't go into the specifics of the argument, but today was an advert for it. Uh Luca Puy. I mean, we, uh, I think we've talked to him about him a little bit, but probably not as much as we should have done. He had a sort of good clay court season, semi-finals in Rome, and then first round of the French Open. And, and I remember seeing him in the press conference there, and he was absolutely gutted. You know, really, really thought that that was his moment to make the Grand Slam breakthrough. And of course, he would have wanted to do it at home, but it it turns out it's come here, and there's. You can understand why. I, 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 the impression I get is that actually the French press have become a bit frustrated with him because he was—he's obviously so talented, and he was talked about a few years ago. He's—he's he's, he's all of 22 now, but I think he was being talked about when he was 18, 19, and and then has stuttered a bit. But that's the pattern, isn't it? That's the pattern in men's tennis now. So you first catch a glimpse of someone 17, 18, maybe 19, you think, oh yeah, they're going to be the next big thing. But it actually takes three or four years to, for them to really become the next big thing. And, uh, God, I mean, that backhand, that, that, the backhand down the line, but just the backhand in general, he practically half volleys it for a winner half the time. I mean, it, it, and his temperament, his, he was the star of the show today against a, a pretty nifty Rafael Nadal. And that, I mean... It, <laughs> To find myself 24 hours on from Evans Vavrinka saying that that was the match of the uh, tournament, I didn't think I'd be saying that, certainly not so soon anyway. No, I'd say this for me, having come here for the 14th time now, this is the best six, seven days of a Grand Slam that I think I can ever remember. I, I think this has just been stunning from day after day. It is hard, though, to see Nadal lose like that, I, I think. I mean, I, I, I chuffed that it's a guy like Puy who has such brilliance, and he, I interviewed him afterwards for, for BBC Radio 5 Live, and it's the first time I've had a chance to speak to him. Only three questions, but a really charming guy, really softly spoken, but interesting. Very good English, actually. Um, and, uh, and he was a credit to himself, very respectful of Nadal. But it's not easy seeing a great champion like that who is on the cusp of, of doing something again and then not being able to and, and, and coming up short, frankly. Um, he was very close and he got himself back to six all in that tie break and then he frankly blew it on a big forehand, didn't he? Big forehand, yeah, and the reaction on that forehand was amazing. I was sitting in the photographer's pit and every photographer, there were only a couple that got the shot of that brief moment where he put both heads. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. 
but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right hands to his forehead uh, and practically clasped his face in his hand there were a couple that got the shot and they, they looked down at their cameras in glory and amazement but then the rest of them missed it and that was the shot it was I mean yes he's an expressive player on the court but you don't usually see that moment of oh my god I've blown it and that's what that was. It gave rise. He'd just saved, as you say, the, the three match points. And then that gave rise to the match point, which Puy finally took. Um, he He's fantastic. Uh, um, such a torn crowd. Such a torn crowd. I mean, the, it, to be taking positives for a 14-time Grand Slam champion from reaching the second week of a slam sounds a bit... Um, pitiful really I suppose but it is the first time he's been in the second week of a slam since French Open last year so yeah I know he's 30 but you know if he's thinking in terms of it if he thinks he's got a few years left at, at having a crack at this I suppose it is a comeback there have been so many then then I suppose the trajectory is upward. It's just ha- has, the he form got, is. Has, has he got long enough to continue the upward trajectory to where he, he needs to go before age starts taking over? I don't know. But I, would, I would certainly say his form is, is better. Well, one interesting question that came out of the press conference, he was asked, I think, I think by Ben Rothenberg, uh, he was asked about pressure in those moments at Grand Slams as opposed to other events and that sort of thing. And... He kind of, Nadal kind of snapped a little bit at that. He, he, he got a little, little angry, a little sort of irritable about about the question, and pointed out that he's won 14 slams and pressure, what pressure, that kind of thing. And then there, there was one comment, I think, by Michael Russell, the the the, the, the very good American tennis ex-pro, um, who who said, you know, what are you asking him about that for? I, I mean, I think it's a perfectly legitimate question, and and I also think that. As you, as players age, you often see players struggle with nerves a bit more. I'm not. I don't know whether that happened to Nadal. We've seen it from Federer. 
the greatest of all time. And we've certainly seen it from Leighton Hewitt in the last two years of his career. He would often be in very, very healthy winning positions and he he would not win. Now, sometimes, obviously, that's to do with his opponent. Sometimes it's technical. But actually, I think I could make the case for quite a few of those losses being due to the nerve going a little bit. And a lot of players... I've spoken to ex-players have said that when you get older and you see your own mortality a little bit, your nerve does go a little bit. Look, I, I can understand why Nadal snapped. I think he, but he quite often does that. He quite often does a snappy initial response to a question, sort of bats it away and then starts talking and goes into real depth and gives you a really good response. That's almost sort of his deep default. He says, oh, no, and then and then goes into a bit of depth and backtracks a bit. So look, I can understand why he snapped a bit, but I also think that's quite a legitimate question given... I mean, there are a few moments that you could cite, but certainly that forehand. I mean, how how else do you explain that forehand from a 14-time Grand Slam champion but nerves and tension and, and the moment? It's entirely understandable to suggest that anybody... I mean, if, if, you know, being a great champion makes you impervious to all of that, then it sort of makes it all completely boring, doesn't it? I mean, Djokovic talked about... You know, at the French Open, the nerves he felt serving out the match there. That's what makes it interesting. If you just think, oh, you know, this is all easy for them. It's boring, isn't it? Gael Monfils went through uh, today and has not dropped a set. He's won 12 sets out of 12. He's now going to face Luca Puy in the next round. So he rolls onwards. Catherine? Yannick, no, Davis Cup captain, who I spoke to earlier, is not going to watch that match, even on the TV. Well, actually, he, he said he flew in. I'm not sure where he lives. I, I, presumably in France somewhere. He said he flew in just to watch Puy today, and he had to cut our interview short because he, he had a plane to catch. He did just fly in for that match. And he said, it, I mean, I thought he was sort of half-joking when he said he wouldn't watch Monfils Puy, and it turned out he really wasn't joking. He said he couldn't bear to watch it. It's like my two kids playing one another. I wish it wasn't happening. I, I was trying to point out the positive, you know, guaranteed Frenchman in the semi-final. He wasn't having any of it. He thinks it's a disaster. <laughs> Catherine, it's two games all, an advantage Edmund on the Djokovic serve. He's got break point. Anyway, uh, this this is happening, folks. <laughs> this is happening. Who knows? Uh, we may be... Uh, that first five minutes when I was banging on about Djokovic being back, maybe it was all nonsense. I'll find out soon, won't I, when, uh, when I've wrapped this up at the end. Um, before that, Johanna Conter from Great Britain, she had a tough day today, lost in straight sets. Oh, that was a weird match. Yeah, tough day, weird match. Like it's, it's a very odd thing being that first match on Louis Armstrong and court, especially when you got Gail Monfils against Bagdatis uh, on grandstand. Edmund's broken for three two. <laughs> this is never going to wear, is it? This is, we're going to have to re-record post Edmund comeback. Um, I'm just going to press on as if people are listening to this. Uh, yeah, you've got Monfils Bagdatis, which was standing room only over on Grandstand, you know. Um, the New Yorkers take their time to filter into the Arthur Ashe Stadium, even if there's an absolute corker going on. And I think it's fair to say that Conta Sevastova was not a corker. I mean, it was... <laughs> It was a tension-ridden affair. As I say, the atmosphere on those opening matches on on Ash, particularly with the new roof, where the 
the even when it's open the acoustics are a bit odd like it's just a slightly strange atmosphere and the whole match certainly in the opening stages felt a bit strange Conta went love three down then came back and you thought okay she's going to really start playing now and then the tension got her again she refused to admit any kind of nerves playing a factor in the post-match press conference I know that's what we've come to expect from Conta her not wanting to give anything away her wanting to maintain this bubble around her but I did kind of just think come on (laughs) that she you know she said in in post-match she said I I did the best I could today and I left everything out there and well if that's the best I mean quite obviously we know Joe Conta can play better than that. Uh, but I so. think, I honestly, I think she hit the wall. I think she's hit the wall. I think Severstova played very well. I think she was clever. She put the ball in difficult bits of the court and she, she messed her around, stopped her being able to be metronomic in quite the same way. But I think Conta's on fumes right now. If you look at the run she's had, Stanford won the title. Uh, Montreal, quarterfinals, flies to Rio, quarterfinals, Cincinnati, uh, a couple of rounds, and now into the, the last 16. She hasn't had a week off since Wimbledon. Bad scheduling, then. If, well, if, maybe if, if so. You get to the, you uh, know, she's, she's 13th seed. She needs I, to I be don't peaking no, at this no, stage. No. I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't agree with that. This is, this is her trying to get up in the rankings right now. Tell me which one of those tournaments she shouldn't have played. I... I uh, I agree with you, actually, but then it's the, I mean, it's the Dominic team scenario, isn't it? Adjusting your schedule for your your new ranking, but then you know schedules are set a year in advance, and you know I I, heard... I think you can cut a slack a because this is her first proper year on the tour, and b it's an Olympic year. She had to play the Olympics. She also probably felt she had to play those other tournaments in order to get the points she's actually ended up getting that have put her outside the top ten. I actually I, I think it's fair enough. I'm not criticising. I, I mean, I th- well, maybe I am criticising. I just think it's a... Uh, I just wish she'd admitted more what a great... Dis- I mean, come on, that must have been an enormous disappointment not to be able to play anywhere close to her best on that stage. I, It must have been... I, listen, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. But, but you know, the, the majority... The, not everybody's like Dan Evans and says to you, you know, anybody who doesn't think about winning when they're a couple of points away is full of it. Not everybody's like that. Not everybody's deadpan and will just drop it on you. I think Conta has to behave like this in order to to feel comfortable. I don't think she wa- I don't think she feels comfortable telling everybody how disappointed she is. So she doesn't. She does it that way. I- and I just think it's circumstances coming together, but I do think she's she's pretty exhausted. I get it. It's just frustrating. It is a bit frustrating. Yeah. There we go. Uh, yeah, I can't get win it. them all. And I, I, I get it more during a tournament when, when you sort of you're in the bubble. She's, you know, I get the whole one match at a time. Don't want to look ahead. Don't want to look behind. But I almost feel sort of when you're out of the tournament, when the bubble is burst, maybe then you can let it go a bit and and let people in a bit. But it works for her, doesn't it? it, it this this approach works for her, so I can't knock it. It's just frustrating for us. Indeed, indeed, we like it when. Tennis players tell us everything, you know, let us into their deepest, darkest secrets because that's what we're all about. It's break point again now for Djokovic to level at three games all. There's your little update, Catherine Whitaker. We'll just have a little look at the schedule. That sounds to me, that crowd cheering sounds to me like Carl Edmund has just saved that break point uh, because you can kind of you kind of tell how how things are going by the sound of crowds, can't you? At times, uh, hey, can I mention Roberto Vinci won again today? 
She's flying. She's going to win it this year. She's, yeah, she's going to go one step further. I've predicted a Serena Kerber final. So in, in my universe, that can't happen. But I just thought that needed a mention. It does. So tomorrow is going to be Arthur Ashe Stadium starting off at 4pm UK time, 11 o'clock Eastern time in the oh, States. Oh. Dominic team against Juan Martin Del Potro. Memo to line judges, wear body armour. Uh, and and uh, then we've got Pliskova, Williams, Serena against Shevedova, and then we've got Dimitrov against Murray in the evening session. I, folks, have got to go. Work calls, but it's been lovely to talk to you all, and if something dramatic happens with Edmund and uh, Djokovic, I'll come back and tell you all about it. Otherwise, assume Djokovic is through. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you soon. 